Hello, you're probably here for the story. Satirists love to tell stories, but you didn't know that about satirists. There's probably a lot you didn't know about satirists. Another satirism. Did you know there are only three jobs available to a satirist? The first is writing essays about eating babies. The second is doing stand-up. But the third job is the profession that every satirist aspires to, saying that satire is dead. So, Adam, did you ever hear about the little boy who was raised as a satirist and ended up in old York City? I did not hear that story. Tell me the story, Mama Satirist. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who was raised as a satyr, which is a male nature spirit with ears and tail resembling those of a horse and a permanent exaggerated erection. Early artistic representations... It's from Wikipedia, it's fine. Sometimes include horse-like legs, but by the 6th century BC, they were more often represented with human legs. Comically hideous, they have mane-like hair, bestial faces and snub noses, and are always shown naked. Satyrs were characterised by their ribaldry and were known as lovers of wine, music, dancing and women. They were companions of the god Dionysus and were believed to inhabit remote locales such as woodlands, mountains and pastures. But to be fair, Joe, the term satirist has a different derivation from the word satire with a Y. Well, you thought it was the same originally. <laughs> you did. Yeah, okay, did. Um, and also, you said that Pope spells it with a Y. He does. Yeah, it's so yes. we're just going to kind of pretend it is the same thing. It's not just Pope. Do you know who else spells it with a Y? Um, Me? Yeah, and everyone in the Renaissance. Okay. So, but... We've not... We're not sure, are we? We we don't know. (laughs) But it would be... Basically, if we sort of go with this line that satirists come from satyrs, then it Mm. makes all of this a bit more like the story (laughs) Elf. There was once a bestial-faced horseman with a giant erection inside the satire unit for 18 months at York St. John, wasn't it? At the the York York Research Institute. So so it is satire. Yeah, okay. And I'm more like Elf. I get. Yeah, I can see where we're going. Yeah, yeah, I can see where we're going. So all of this, the music was a little um, brief um, clue to that. Proceed. Yeah, okay. So, uh, they're all in the remote locales. (laughs) (laughs) And one day, 35 years ago, almost to the day, a human baby was found in Dionysus' sack. That's, he he had a sack. It wasn't, yeah. (laughs) Um, so the satyrs named him Snarky and raised him as one of them Um, as he grew it became obvious he did not have a bestial face or a snub nose and he liked disliked frolicking naked among his Mm. friends Mm. but he had picked up some satirical habits just like Will Ferrell is a bit elfish Mm. yeah albeit big Um, but he's a bit satirical albeit small and not half horse but he never quite fitted in and so he began a journey through random candy canes to old York City with hilarious results and the first thing he saw when he got to the big city uh, the medium sized city was a coffee shop proclaiming that it sold the world's best cup of coffee and so in he walked ding 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 I don't think this actually will be the world's best cup of coffee. I don't see how that could work or how you would even know. This coffee is, at best, average. It's very Peep Show Mark, that, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Snarky wandered down to Fenwick's department store and saw to his amazement that lines of children were queuing up to see Santa Claus. What are you doing? Santa's not real. 
It's a capitalist plot to force children to behave in the ways arbitrarily deemed good by their parents all year round in hope of reward. And when that reward comes, it's unequal and mirrors exactly the wealth and status of the family in question. Look at yourselves, you pathetic idiots. Take a look in the mirror. You're deluded and you're wrong. By a complicated twist of events, Snarky was arrested for doing that. Go figure. <laughs> and bailed out by his actual birth father again. Go figure. And lived in that family for a bit, winning the hearts and minds of his stepmother and half-brother with his foul mouths but often amusing invective. Although they did find you it stupid odd... stupid fucking prick! Shush, no, it's not your bit. They did find it odd how he poured vinegar all over his food all the time and to make it really sour. Various things happened... <laughs> including that Snarky struck up a friendship with Crossy who worked with him at Phoenix and liked to <laughs> sing that's important remember about that until one day he was walking through the museum gardens when he came upon Chris Morris curled up in a sad ball under some of the rocks from the ancient monastery it's not good I can't get my latest satirical project to fly everyone's so basic and capable only of understanding things as direct biographical representations of the author these days nobody's able to appreciate irony or nuance anymore Look, the satire meter's pointing to zero. I don't know what happened in York City and everywhere else, but the spirit of satire is almost completely dead. Everybody believes and nobody questions. All these little children will wake up tomorrow and find themselves in a literalist and critical world and grow vapid and unthinking. That's very good. Well done. Um, so then all the people were watching that on the news and wondering what on earth to do. <laughs> Why um, were they watching it on the news? Uh, <laughs> what kind of news? This must have been York news. Yeah, it was on... Uh, it was on I don't know. It wouldn't be on Look North, would it? Look North's never about York, so no. I don't know. Just, um, just on the news. No, Look North. York and Cumbria. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it was. It was on the news, and Crossy from Phoenix was also um, standing there and wondering what to do. And then she had herself a little idea. Nice to meet you. Where you've been? I could show you incredible things. Magic, madness. Heaven since saw you there and I thought Oh my god, look at that face You look like my next mistake Love's a game, what a play And soon the whole park was ringing out with the sound of Taylor Swift's satirical song Blank Space And even though that wasn't the best song to express the spirit of satire any more arguably than Santa Claus is coming to town is the best song to encapsulate the Christmas spirit it worked quite well in that it was easy to sing and remember and it was a bit satirical so that is why they did that and then everybody rediscovered their love of satire Chris Morris leapt up and wrote a new series of Brass Eye and they all lived happily ever after and Snarky well he had a great idea for a little podcast and that is the podcast that you are listening to right now ho ho ho, oh, ho, ho. shitty Christmas everyone oh. one and all <laughs> that was good wasn't it did that you was enjoy good. doing that I did enjoy that yeah. yeah you gave me three thoughts oh okay good <laughs> that's a good value for it. Yeah, yeah go ahead what's the well, one well one of them is, is, a, is an autobiographical thought it just mm-hmm. reminded me because I felt like at one point you were suggesting that Snarky and myself were at several biographical points like, yeah, yeah. And there's the bit where Snarky puts vinegar on his food to make it more sour. Yeah. I did once do that by accident as a child. Did you pour um, vinegar? What did you put it so, on? Like not uh, just on chips or whatever? It was special. We went through a phase where we would have... Uh, my dad would do his home-cooked chips and pizza and salad, which was a rare mm. delicacy. Like, we didn't have yeah. it all, but some Fridays we would do. And Friday night would be pizza night. And mm-hmm. um, and he had made... We were having this margarita pizza and stuff and... We all sat down to eat it, and we were all very excited. And then I, instead of picking up the vinegar 
which has the the end on it that drips food slowly onto your thing. I accidentally picked mm. up the bottle that you use to fill the vinegar bottle. Oh, so right. I took off the red lid Just and poured it, glugged vinegar yeah. all over my chips, and obviously it quickly mm. seeped into the pizza. But I didn't want to not have the pizza or disappoint anyone oh. by the fact that uh, I had ruined it with this vinegar. So I just did you like? Did you manage to conceal the fact that you'd done that, and so no one knew you were eating vinegar? This is the first time I've ever said it out loud. Oh God. Um, and sounds, I can remember, I can remember when I'd finished the pizza. You must have been like a raisin by the end of that. <laughs> it was just like a puddle of there. a raisin eating a pizza. There was, <laughs> there was just like a puddle of vinegar residue on the plate after, oh. and I remember quickly using a paper towel to wipe my hands and put it on the plate to cover up the vinegar puddle, mm. and then that just absorbed the vinegar as well. So uh, yeah, so yeah. I guess if you'd said then, because with the thi- with pizza, it's not like with pie, is it? Where you could just get a dip. Mm. This pizza is more finite isn't it I'd have so to say Dan I've ruined this dinner you've made uh, make it again yeah and I couldn't do that do you so, people used to do that at your school like loosen the tops of the bottles of vinegar at school dinners so that it would all pour out no yeah like, remember not what, mine yeah no they did do <laughs> something that. my little brother used to did once when we went mm. to a, a birthday party when he was really small like five or six mm. is he didn't like uh, well, he's very different now but when he was a child he didn't like for example chicken or anything like that right um, so, but they'd given him chicken nuggets or something that he really didn't want. So he poured loads of ketchup on the plate and then put all the food in the ketchup and was like, "I hate ketchup, I can't eat." <laughs> <laughs> so is that is, does that all count as one thought? That's all one okay, thought. Yeah, right, yeah. Okay. The second thought was the bit in the script where it says, "And then some things happened." Yeah. Which reminded me of something I've been teaching recently, which isn't satire but is funny, mm. which is gothic uh, blue books and chat books. Mm-hmm. So these were penny dreadfuls essentially, shilling shockers. But they're, a step, they're, they're really, really short. They're written for a working-class audience in the late 18th century. Uh, they were tremendously popular, but what they are is literally they're the synopsis of a story that doesn't exist. So rather than mm. you don't have like interiority or characterization, and they I was, we were looking at one in the seminar the other day, and there was a line in it that said, "After a series of further mysteries, Emily found the secret passage." Yeah. <laughs> Just that's, that same um, thing. that's what they, he does at the end of um, "She" by Ryder Haggard, which is which is one of three books now of Victorians that I'm going to talk about in this um, podcast. But yeah, so they. Um, they, they've like found the secret of eternal life realised the problems with the secret of eternal life climbed over ravines and through caves and stuff and then it's like um, then in the in the penultimate paragraph it's like we, we travelled across Africa and the rest of the globe for many months and some terrible things happened which I won't tell you about here <laughs> and then we went home someone, like, yeah, someone else who does that a lot actually is um, Cervantes and Don Quixote mm. where you have chapter titles where it's like um, uh, it'll be like Don Quixote and Sancho Panza arrive at the inn after many other interesting things yeah. happen to them. But then you don't find out what they were. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, it's great. So, okay. So, yeah. So, my little thing was sort of roughly on a par with all of those. Mm, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I yeah. thought yeah. it was. Yeah. yeah. Probably better than Ryder Haggard's She, to be fair. Um, and what's your third and final thought? Something that I learned this semester is that uh, there was an Irish version of Brass Eye. Okay. They're called Brassoi. <laughs> Brassoi. It was. <laughs> I can't just pause for a second what was it called uh, what was it called it was called The Savage Eye okay. uh, run from 2009 um, and it's mostly it's more like a prank show than Brass Eye mm. uh, they do some very similar kinds of stunts um, and but the difference between The Savage Eye and Brass Eye is that do you remember when we talked about Brass Eye in the podcast in an episode last yes. September one of the things that we that came out of the discussion that I think well, that we both ended up reflecting on is that he doesn't tend to prank the public. No. He pranks 
celebrities, celebrities, politicians and stuff like that. Whereas Savage Eye does tend to go after the pub- public with the intention of revealing, like, you know, uh, outdated attitudes around sexuality or religion. Um, Have you seen... I mean, I don't, I don't know if this is, like, you know, too much from behind the curtain, but we've got this open on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Um, the third series is performed by comedians David McSavage, mm-hmm. John Cleary, Pat McDonnell and Dermot McMorrow. That's funny, isn't it, that he's called McSavage and he's yeah. in Savage Eye? That's Maybe like that's... if you were called Adam McPod- Podcast. <laughs> Adam McSmith and War Talk About Savage Eye. I was called Joe Mc... Victorians. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. I wonder yeah. if that's why it's called the Savage Eye, actually. Cause no, but is it, it says that he's only in the third series. Okay. So yeah. Well, I, maybe it's he was in all of them, but it's only in the third series mm. they do that. I mm. don't know. I've got no idea how to watch this. Some of it's on YouTube, uh, but I've not yeah, been able eyes. to find it. Uh, well, once <laughs> I can't find it to look at with my yeah, eyes. Yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, that was that was a lot of thoughts, wasn't Thanks it? Thanks for three ideas. Did you have any uh, reflections on the little um, this year's Christmas sketch? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was obviously it was somewhat truncated wasn't it because Elf is quite is a long film with lots of characters so I don't know how well it worked to to do that sort of and then some things happened as if the whole thing was narrated by Papa Elf but um, quite a lot of the Elf is montage though isn't it the actual film Mm, quite a lot of it's montage yes it is like Um, the date and everything yeah and, and yeah his journey it's like it's a montage it's three or four key comedy set pieces like when he fights the uh, small man yeah yes um yeah angry Elf yeah. yeah, that's one of the keys. So yeah, there's the keys, and actually there's an advert for Asda, isn't it? At the moment, is it Asda or Argos? It's Asda. It's yeah. Asda, and basically they've taken the key scenes from Elf and put them in a three and a half minute ad. Yeah. Well, not even three and a half minutes. Like yeah. it's, it's there's not much. The famous scenes in Elf, if you took them out, it would probably be approximate to the length of your script. Yeah, I did always think as well in Elf ever since the first time I saw it that like I get why they've gone like with a secular song and a song about. Santa Claus but that's mm. not like that's not really the Christmas spirit is it that is really like it's, it's a, quite a menacing mm. vision of Santa Claus is it? I always thought with that song like you better be good you better not shout fuck okay but you'd better not cry yeah 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 like you're allowed to cry yeah no. or not Um, but yeah it it never I've just never thought of that as being the song that would make you think like oh it's no, Christmas yeah. now I it's love quite, humanity it's a really creepy song mm. um, and it's a song about yeah but like you like it said in the script be good and you'll get a monetary it's really reward. pissy as well isn't it? you know when it goes like um, you better not shout I'm telling you why yeah. it, it makes me think of a pair of, I'm telling you all right yeah 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 I think when I was a child I just did didn't like that song that song do you have you ever heard of a character he called sees Venom you when you're sleeping he knows when you're awake yeah are you familiar with the Marvel Comics character Venom the alien symbiote well, do you think that I'm familiar with the Marvel <laughs> Comics character comic to character Venom <laughs> of course not no I didn't think so but when I was about 10 or 11 a lot of childhood memories today mm. um, it's Christmas it's a time yeah. for nostalgia isn't it um, I remember getting an issue of Amazing Spider-Man from, from the co-op or something and it had Venom who's this horrible alien symbiote mm. um, swinging through the buildings with a Santa hat on mm. and it said you better not shout you better not laugh you better not cry I think you're allowed to laugh I said oh you what's the song you better not you better, be a little bitch <laughs> yeah <laughs> you better watch out yeah Oh no, Father Christmas has just come in through the window because yeah. we were singing that. <laughs> I don't right. know. I and think you they, are allowed so, to laugh anyway. Well, they had, those, they had the actual lyrics and then it just yeah. said him, him like, Venom 
is coming to town and there's mm. like a little Christmas hat on Venom. But it was such a like terrifying image. Mm. I always associate the song with that, this hideous yeah. monster. Uh, and there is there is the Santa monster, isn't there? What's that called? Uh, Krampus. Oh yeah. In Europe, like a horrible in, Santa. Yeah, and they did that in Inside Number Nine, didn't they? Oh, they did. Yeah. yeah. There's going to be an Inside Number Nine Christmas special. I know. Mm. Lots of lots of good things on at Christmas that I'm looking forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So we could talk about telly a little bit, couldn't we? Do you want we to? We could. Yes. So this is our Christmas episode. Yes. Uh, of, Christmas. of the podcast that is the podcast of uh, McSmith. And Muck Wall talk, <laughs> talk about, about Muck's satire. Yeah. A desperate Muck attempt. <laughs> to bid uh, quantifiable impact for our Muck research. <laughs> it is Muck research, I'm researching it. <laughs> it's the McDonald's, the McDonald's. Sign. Oh, right, very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Do they even still have that? I don't think so, don't probably do. not. No. Um, but yes, yeah, so this is we're applying Muck Impact for our Muck research <laughs> on Muck satire, yeah. and, um, and this uh, is a Christmas one, form, function, future, etc. Mm. Yeah, and the Christmas, the Smith and War Christmas special. It's is, always a lovely time of the it, year, isn't it? It's like established now to be a legit tradition. It's legit, a legit tradition. Yeah, 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 legit tradition. Um, it always starts with our Christmas sketch, which you've experienced. <laughs> um, and what else are we going to be doing this Christmas, Joe? Um, do you mean in this Christmas episode? In this Christmas episode. Um, talking about some things that we've watched on television, recommending some satirical things, um, and just generally wishing everybody a lovely, <laughs> lovely Christmas. Yeah, that's the plan. Right? We're going to do that's TV it, things, satirical yeah. racks, end. <laughs> <laughs> that's the final bullet That's what point. it says in the yeah. script, yeah. End. Um, yeah. Well, I think we can deliver on that, can't we? Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you want to debrief on while we're... While we're debriefing, I think we've debriefed. I think that's yeah. everything. Did you want to debrief? <laughs> you remember that? I do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very good. yeah. I was thinking the other day. You know the bit where uh, in Breaking Bad, someone says, "So there's that." Yeah. What is the context for? I was trying to remember this the other day. I think, right. So it's it's fairly early on. Jesse says it in passing. I think because Walt Walt wants him. Oh, I, th- I think it's something like Tuco wants to kill us, so there's that or something. Mm-hmm. And then Walt needs him to buy a specific tub to dissolve the bodies in, and he buys a cheaper one, which means the acid leaks through the floor and the ceiling crashes in. And I think Walt says such and such chemical dissolves this thing, so there's that. Ah. So he's like using Jesse's phrase back at him to say. Like you had a moment of outwitting me, like being the dominant um, person for a bit. Like, oh, you thought you knew everything, but I know about chemicals, acid, bodies, and floorboards. Okay. So there's that. Okay, that'll be it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We it's can not cut really that satire, out. is it? Well, well we, we can see how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. Going. But thank you for confirming that. It's been oh, bothering, okay. been bothering, yeah. bothering I think it's that somebody else might know yeah. differently. Yeah. Know. Send us in at um actually by email. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. uh, what have you been watching on the TV, and was it satire? Um, well, actually, the most recent thing that I've been watching isn't satire. It's called Wayne. It's on all four. It's very good. Okay. Yeah. Um, is but it comedy? It, it's dark and violent and has some funny bits in it, oh. too. Um, you like that, don't you? Yeah. Is it, do you know what like it's you, a lot like? Is it like um, Utopia? No, it's not like Utopia. It's a lot like... Do you remember The End of the Fucking World on Channel 4 mm. quite a few years ago? I remember everybody was talking about that. It's on Netflix as well. Was it? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's mo- more like that than it is like anything. But yeah, anyway, we're not talking about that, are we? Do you want me to say I've been watching The Crown? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've been yeah, watching yeah. The Crown, yeah. 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 Which is a brilliant um, 
satire uh, on kind of the the rich and the poor which also is going to lead me to a victorian thing actually that yes yeah, so we've got that this um insanely wealthy old woman who yeah so the crown um, and which isn't a satire but you kind of wonder if it might be when you see like Imelda Staunton as the Queen getting pissy with John Major because she thinks that the British public in a recession should pay for the repairs to her massive super yacht and is not at all receptive to the idea that they um, might might see that as being somewhat inequitable and she says something like do you know Mr Major out of all my castles I didn't none of them was made for me only mm. the Britannia yacht was made for me so it has a special place in my heart it's like yeah, you really don't get it, do you? Good, good, job. Many, good um, job, your dad. Castles were specifically made for you, Joe. Well, exactly none, and also no yachts. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, my, uh, uh, yeah, I didn't even didn't inherit my house. Yeah, but there was. I thought there was like a brief, uh, potentially satirical mm-hmm. bit where um, John John Major and his wife Norma are eating their dinner, and you're kind of waiting to see what they're going to be having with their sausage and mash and its peas, which is famously what the John Major puppet was, and Norma were always eating in. Spitting image. image. Oh, John good. Gray Majors. Yeah. Mm. Oh, peas, dear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I felt like that had... Because there was no need for them to be eating peas, mm. um, but they but they were, so I felt like that was a nod to his characterisation in Spitting Image. Yeah. But it was, it was strange to see... Um, Johnny Lee Miller playing yeah. must have been a bit like how it was for you when Gillian Anderson was playing Thatcher I yeah. imagine yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. one ibble dibble <laughs> and no dibble ibble <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah did jo- you did you get far with the crown I'm about halfway through right. um, the Johnny Lee she Miller dies. casting is the queen yeah spoiler <laughs> the, I'm uh, Diana yeah <laughs> and, but do you know who that. is do you know who features in a minor way in the crown uh, that lady Susan Hussey who um, oh, yeah. said the racist things yeah um, um, yeah she's in it because she's the wife of Marmaduke Hussey of the BBC and she's right. always trying to like be friends with the Queen all the time mm. which is incredibly posh so yeah I knew who she was when she came up in the real life yeah. world the um, Johnny Lee Miller ca- oh, going no no I was going to say the Johnny, Johnny Lee Miller casting it's like going into cold water isn't it when he first appears it's like well that's Johnny Lee Miller in a silly wig mm. And then after two or three, it's same with Margaret Thatcher and Julian Anderson. After yeah. a few scenes, you do just start to read it as, read him as John Major. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's some pretty good casting. Something that, uh, this is really unfair of me to point this out mm. because it's basically TV is essentially theatre and it involves some imagination, doesn't it? Yes. But I was struck by how how a lot the ca- actors are obviously much older than the actors from last time. Yeah. Um, particularly in the case of Prince Charles where it's gone from being that man who looked like he was in his mid-twenties, the really posh mm. guy who was playing Prince Charles in the last season, to now being uh, Dominic West. Yeah. So I just looked on a, a wiki for The Crown mm. to see how much time is supposed to have passed between the last episode of season four and the first episode like of season five. It's basically none, isn't it? It's the, same, it's the next year. Yeah. Yeah, so that's weird, isn't it? They had a rough year. 1994 yeah. was a rough year for Prince Charles. <laughs> yeah, but Diana grew about two feet in height, so that was nice <laughs> yeah. for her. Yeah. Um, something that was interesting is I was watching it because I knew that we were going to potentially talk about it on the podcast. And whilst I was watching it, uh, not whilst I was watching it, but in the same time in my life that I was watching it recently, right. um, I was also preparing to and then taught the film Vice from 2019, oh, yeah. which is the film about Dick Cheney, the vice president, and his corrupt rise to power and all of the corruption... Mm in America and his assault on executive power and uh, yeah how he basically wrestled lots of uh, apparent influence from a very stupid George W. Bush Jr. Mm. 
and uh, a lot of par- parallels, a lot of parallels between right. what's going on in the Vice and what's going on in the Crown. Because a lot of the that and the Vice, I should say, is definitely satire. It's a satirical yeah. film. The Crown is definitely, definitely not satire. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the criticisms of Vice is that it's too scattershot in its targets. Although the mm. director Adam McKay says that's not my fault. That's just what was happening in the world. Yeah, fair. Um, and another one is that it doesn't have enough commentary. It's just things that actually happened restaged, but with comedy actors in the roles mm. of historical people. Um, but I thought that is in itself satire, isn't it? It's the the mm. cat when you cast someone, like the fact that you've cast Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. Yeah, bring, that's a comment in itself yeah. before you do anything else, isn't it? Which is uh, any students listen to this. Richard Dyer has a theory called Star Theory, where he talks mm. about the like casting in TV drama and theatre is a kind of intertextuality. Like you can't yeah. get rid of the freight. Of yeah, that. like when Anthony Hopkins plays um, Titus Andronicus, yeah. and yeah. you're obviously thinking about Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, and if you cast Steve Carell as a leading government official, yeah. you've essentially cast Brit from Anchorman <laughs> in government. Yeah. yeah, or uh, what's it from the American Office? Yeah, what's his actual name? Now? Um, I've forgotten. Oh my god, they say it all the time. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah, so you say, but the office is probably a better example actually. Yeah. So you've got you're basically saying. Um, so that's interesting. Mm. So yeah, when you cast Johnny Lee Miller as John Major, there's a bath- potentially a bathotic effect, a bathotic effect, pathetic effect, isn't there? Yeah. Which is that you've got boring old John Major, Prime Minister, and like sick boy, sick boy from yeah. Trainspotting. Ha- it, like it has, a, it does have a comic effect. It's the same yeah. with like you said, Ch- cast a beautiful sex icon like Jane Anderson as Margaret Thatcher. Like there is a, a dissonance there that does yeah. invite a comedic reading. Yeah, and also, I mean, jo- the other thing that Johnny Lee Miller's famous for is not really getting that much work after Train Spotting, isn't it? Yeah. he wasn't like he didn't really rise to that much mm. fame after that. No, so Plunkett and McLean and Byron, Byron wasn't yeah. he? Is that it? Oh, Train right, Spotting. I'm sure there's more. Well, Train Spotting too. Yeah. I'm sure there's more, but I haven't seen it. And I feel yeah. like the thing that everybody knew about Johnny Lee Miller was it hadn't quite worked out for him. Wasn't he Sherlock Holmes in a long-running TV programme in America? Called, was he? Uh, yeah. Um, I think that's right, because apparently uh, I remember reading that Benedict Cumberbatch was in Sherlock, and then in America they did a show called Elementary, where Johnny Lee Miller basically <laughs> right. plays an American Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And I, I read in an interview that Benedict Cumberbatch wrote to him and said please don't do this because I can't not read it as like a, a, an attack basically mm. on what I've done and then Johnny Lee Miller did it anyway wow. and he ran for 10 seasons so that's where he's been what solving crimes and do you know who plays Watson in elementary no Lucy Lou from Kill Bill gosh yeah. okay yeah I've never seen it but well fancy that it exists yeah yeah, yeah. Um. yeah so so that's the crown mm. uh, not, not satire but good well, not not satire, not good. It's not satire, fun. but it's not not a satire. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, so, what have you been watching? Oh well, I've been very busy recently. There's been mm. some industrial action. There's been a lot of uh, bother, isn't there? Yeah. And a lot of busyness, which has basically meant that I was incapable of concentrating on anything that evening, other mm. than uh, the TV program that is the TV program I'm seven to get me out of here, right. uh, or as the kids call it. I A C G M O O H. Do they? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, have you heard much about this? Yes, obviously. Hmm. Yes. What did you hear? Uh, Matt Hancock was in it. Yeah. And he was got to the final three. Yeah. Um, which was kind of uh, annoying people. And yeah. 
Yeah. Matt Hancock and, and, was But in he it. didn't win, and now he's not going to do any more politics as well. That's right. He yeah. said that he's not going to run again, which is fortunate because there's been a vote of no confidence in his constituency. Yeah. yeah. So he said, didn't he, on it, I believe that he... He was just looking for a little bit of forgiveness. Mm, he a said little he bit want, of forgiveness. He said he wanted to show people who he really was. And it's so hard in, in the, these current times for politicians mm. to be relatable and for people to actually see their no personality. No one wants them to be relatable, though. They no. just not want them to not be bent. Yeah. And don't give all the money to Dido Hardin so yeah. that we have an app that doesn't work in the middle of a national crisis. Yeah. Um, and so on. So, yes. And uh, it caused a massive controversy, obviously. Uh, the people inside the camp weren't too keen on the idea. One of them, who was a journalist, I've forgotten her name, she did. She spent a bit of time mm. asking and probing questions. But uh, but the main storyline in week one was the fact that the public was voting Matt Hancock to do every single Bush Tucker trial. Yeah, which they were always um, going to do, weren't they? And it had an interesting and divisive effect in that some people, even people like um, my friend my friend Lucy, friend of the podcast, was saying mm. that um, she was having difficult conversations with some of her extended family because they were right they were texting her saying like oh he's an all right bloke actually isn't he matt hancock um because he could you know, maybe he should be prime minister um, to which i say if he can balance the economy as well as he can chow down on a camel's cock mm. maybe he's the solution to all our problems i think but, uh, that, that, that i was really expecting you to say if he can balance the economy as well as he can balance something else but you didn't you just weren't yeah that's what he did yeah i know but i thought that you were going to structure it better no i, I was thought you were as well as he can balance like a grasshopper's penis and a snake on the tip of his tongue before swallowing yeah 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 sorry but, you know, sorry you, listeners i'm not yeah. not as rhetorically competent off the hoof as, uh, <laughs> as some, as some people, people might, might think require. yeah yeah so there's all of that and then but then he was interested so he did loads of trials and i did watch it um and i did feel like although i have harbor a lot of resentment a lot of ill, Ill will towards him because of the ways that you changed your mind from resentment to ill will. Well, both. You don't resent him. Just no, I do resent him, and I, and it's because of breaking the rules. Although, as he clarifies, the only things he broke were guidelines. He didn't break any laws, um, and it. But it's bound up in the fact well, that I didn't know the guidelines were optional. No, neither did that woman. I wish they'd like been a bit clearer about that. And, but this is the this is the other issue is that whenever because I want to be like yeah what about that woman who met her friend uh, to have a Costa coffee in mm. a car in a field and they both got arrested like did they know they were breaking a guideline or yeah. what? But there's all different periods and things and he's like well you can't help it when you fall in love and kiss someone in a cupboard when there's restrictions mm. and also all of it him and Dominic Cummins I think have benefited from the fact that all of it seems small fry compared to the parties that are happening. Yeah. At Christmas. So anyway, all that being as it is, that's the first week, and then you start to feel it's impressive how well he does the trials. Um, just just viewing him, just like to because yeah. he he stomachs literally stomachs quite a lot. Um, and then week two got interesting because the public voted for him to be like captain of the camp, which means that he gets to sit in a special red chair and isn't allowed to do any work. I saw a clip of it on Gogglebox. Yeah. And he he had to answer a question. Yeah. And he was like, oh, it's definitely 1978 or something, but yeah. it wasn't that, and so yeah. he fucked it all up. Yeah. Uh, it was really annoying. Yeah, because yeah. that's is that when they ring at the... There's yeah, two, he was two in people. a phone box. Yeah, and, and he, he was like, oh, even... it's definitely 1978, it's definitely 1978. And it's wrong, yeah. and they don't get to eat. So, yeah. So, and it gets worse and worse, because once he stops doing the trials, they all start failing trials. Something else that struck me is that, obviously, people are giving Matt Hancock a hard time. No one was mentioning what Boy George... Uh, was charged and put in prison for doing a co- in, in the late 2000s which was uh, handcuffing a man against his will to a wall for for, for multiple days um, questions of 
Yeah. Questions of what though, happens. <laughs> no, and um, yeah, and he did, this came up one time in about week three where someone said, "What was that thing about how you handcuffed a man to a wall?" And Boy George was like, oh, "I was having a mental breakdown. I was doing a lot of drugs. I was out of my mind. No one's brand new. There's not been any evidence to prove that I assaulted him sexually or otherwise." Uh, but I did detain him and I have done my prison sentence. And then he goes in the diary and he's like, I think it's really inappropriate that they asked me about that. It's, well, so what, what are you talking about? It's not inappropriate. I think you should mm. have to talk about that if you did it. I just think the whole programme's really stupid and annoying. Anyway, yeah. my question is... And, and then, of course, he comes third. Okay. Um, and the winner was the uh, football the woman football player. Yes, that, uh, yeah. And uh, the person who came second was uh, someone of Hollyoaks. Chris Morris... Chris... Moyles yeah. got uh, had a pretty bad time. Mm. So, what's your question? Well, I was just going to say I was reading about reading an opinion piece in the Private Eye, mm-hmm. and this asks the question. They point out in the Private Eye magazine something else as well, which is that Ant and Deck, who do their little bits to camera, which are really when broad. When they used to go like Evening Prime Minister, yeah, last year, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they mentioned in the article that he was that they were doing that, and now it's becoming cre- their little comments are satirical. Like it's very okay. simple satire. Like for example, when Matt Hancock gets put in the red chair, they mm. had a lettuce, put eyes like Mr. Potato had eyes and feet on it, and then every week Matt Hancock was in the chair, they would see who's going to last longer. The lettuce or Matt Hancock, mm. which of course refers to something that uh, we haven't talked about in the podcast because it all happened, which is that mm. Liz Truss is no longer Prime Minister, ladies and gentlemen, and um, there was a lettuce out last day, wasn't there, in the Daily Star? Yeah, did we not? All... Yeah. Oh, no, we talked about that parsing, didn't we? Anyway, mm. what is the so, question? So, all right, okay, so the question is this. Uh, they, just, just, just one other thing is they also mention the Boy George thing. They say astonishingly, Boy George, who served a jail term for assault and false imprisonment, escaped scrutiny because campmates are so keen to interrogate the former Secretary of State about their nan's death or his CCTV booty grab of Gina. But then it goes on and it talks about how um, basically it's a way for the public to uh, torture people mm. who, are, who are basically guilty of crimes against society. And it says, it asks the question, is this the future, is this a new super franchise in which the public get to vote on Sir Gavin Williamson, David Williams, David Williams, Williams, Prince Andrew, gagging on the willies and arses of Australian creatures not yet born. Mm. So so is is this actually audience-led interactive satire? No. Oh. (laughs) I think it is audience-led, like putting people in the stocks, isn't it? Mm. Um, I don't see where the satire would be because well, I didn't really like that phrase that in that prior, it was a bit like sniffy when it said like they're too busy asking going on at Matt Hancock about their nan's mm. death like there's a there's a class based kind mm. of jab in there isn't it like is nan not grandma mm. or something mm. um, and that these people should like stop being so basic and going on about their their grandmothers mm. um so just as an aside, I didn't much care for that. But no, it's not, it's not satire, is it? It's just it's punishment. But it's the producers when they're coming up with the activities. Like for example, the the, the producer who decides to put who decides to have the red chair that Matt Hancock then obviously gets voted into mm. is the, is that person like engineering satirical scenarios? Well, what's the satirical the, the lettuce? Well, I mean, being able to see because when Matt Hancock goes in the chair, like mm-hmm. his true well. His, another side of his personality comes out mm. which is the bit that's quite happy to let other people do the work and, oh do you know one bit that really annoyed me mm. was when um, he'd been having a shave 
and then he left his, all his all his. Um, oh, I think I might have seen beard shavings well. in the bowl. Yeah, yeah and then some uh, one of the and women, he was like, "Well, what you got it? What's it going to take you? Like ten seconds to wipe that up?" And yeah. he's like, "But it would have taken you exactly. ten seconds." Yeah. So those kinds of things come out because of the scenario that the producers have engineered. So are they kind of facilitating satire? No. Okay. Because is that still not satire? Is it? Like it, it's. Uh, is punishment, and there might be some irony about it, but I don't see how that's being mm. satirical. Well, is, but it, is it like part of satire is the high brought, like the high brought low through ridicule? So if you put Matt Hancock in a box full of snakes, no, is, is no, because <laughs> that, that's like saying when they like executed Charles the Second. Yeah, that was the high brought low and, and a full yeah and a full head shorter yeah it wasn't satirical was it because <laughs> no, i because you're right because it's not putting man Han- matt hancock in a making him eat a kangaroo's arsehole and putting him in a box full of snakes um is not the same as a picture of that happening is it it's actually you're doing it to him. like it's not mm. a caricature like it actually is the actual matt hancock in an actual box yeah full of i mean i suppose they could say it's like it's a real life living tableau or something but mm. no it's, it's just it is what it is i suppose like, the things that anton deck say people shouldn't there, read into things <laughs> And that's the last end of the podcast. (laughs) No more episodes. But uh, I suppose the bits where Anton Decker stood on the bridge, they could be satire. When they're doing their their commentary, could be, couldn't it? Is it just like comedic commentary? Just comedy, just comedy. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. So The Crown, not satire. I'm so petite, not satire. This podcast, Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) Oh no, it's Chris Morris under a rock. We've got to sing Blank Space again. (laughs) Do you know what? I, I Googled like satirical songs. And obviously, like, you know, there's, there's a lot of satirical songs you, you couldn't sing, like things that Chris Morris has done and stuff. Um, but quite a lot of them, especially Lily Allen and stuff, they're mm. like, this is a satirical song satirising pop music in the pop industry and stuff. Uh, but it, then it's like it was criticised at the time for seeming to parody black musicians. And it's like, no, yeah. we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, there was quite a lot that I discarded because they were, like, um, less than ideal. Did, what, so did just, you have... Um... Oh, what's the sort Uzi Lover in there? <laughs> well, that would have been better, wouldn't it? It would have been more jarring. Mm. I think I thought that, like, you could sort of imagine Zooey Deschanel singing that. Yeah, in yeah, yeah. Park, it works Because well. it's a similar, like, female um, vocals, isn't it? Yeah, but, and t- um, Taylor Swift and yeah. Zoe Deschanel, they're both kind of got the manic pixie dream girl thing going on, haven't yeah. they, to some extent? Yeah. I mean, also with the Uzi Lover, like, yeah, I just think it would be difficult to... Fuck! Bitch, fuck, fuck bitch, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very good. Kill people to respect them. <laughs> but you can't kill all the people, or there'll be no people. To respect. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Well, I well, feel like well, it's well. been Christmas. There has been questions. If you Google the Crown satire, I'm a celebrity satire. There are opinion pieces begging this question. Let's have a. Let's just confirm that it's okay. true. Fact check me. Yeah. So we're gonna fact me till I fart. Fact check me till I fart. Yeah. Um, the Crown satire. Tire. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's parodies of it. Uh, comedian Margaret Thatcher, The Crown, viral poll. No, 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 no. It's, this isn't working. This is. It's not. I think. No. Should, should, I mean, we is can the watch Crown one. is the Crown season four satire? Okay. Season All right, we'll ask it in a really careful way. Is the the Crown season five on Netflix? Yes, it is. Satire, satirical. Saturation. Uh, is the crown? See, the crown versus real life in Vox. 
Why the crown has royal alloys in an uproar? How accurate is it compared to real life? Skip 1995's most bonkers royal drama. The crown was never satirical, but it at least made a conscious effort to jerk its head to the absurdity of it all, said the Indian Express. Okay. Netflix's once regal show loses all objectivity in worst season ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I don't think that people are saying no, that the crown is satire. I think so that they are parodying it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a bit like open to that, isn't okay, it? Okay, yeah, yeah. F- and what about what was the other one? I'm a celebrity. Uh, I'm a celebrity, yeah. That's Do you want that. me to Google and see if that's satire? Yeah. This is good, is it? Smith and we'll Google things. Asking <laughs> if they're satire. <laughs> I'm a celebrity. Satire. The perfect Matt Hancock parody sums up his absurd time on I'm a celebrity. Um. Mm. No, that's yeah. Yeah. No. Well, the private no. eyes asked the question, haven't they? <laughs> well, well, I <laughs> maybe yeah, but I mean, did we ever really think that they that it was? I thought that they might be like the the the, the I'm a celebrity might have become not necessarily consciously, but over the course of this season, a satirical project. I think it's more like the kind of thing where somebody would say, oh, Matt Hancock's got like a fog up his bum and, <laughs> and, and uh, I don't know, sat- truly satire is dead. Yes, that's true. That's the kind of mm. satire-adjacent um, comment that somebody might make about I'm a celebrity. Yeah, I do worry about... Uh, well, I don't <laughs> they don't make them put things up their bums, do they? <laughs> I don't think so. But uh, I do not. wonder if um, this is the beginning for Matt Hancock's Prime Ministerial bid. Nah. Well, because Donald Trump started in reality television, didn't he? Boris started on... like He had obviously went on oh, Have I Got News, as we hear about yeah, endlessly. Yeah, but that's the whole thing, isn't it? Matt Hancock didn't start on it. No. He went to it after he failed that's at true. the other stuff. That's true, yeah. Well, he's got a, a lucrative book deal. Mm. Um, and... Uh, and he's going on um, SS Who Dares Wins. Oh, my God. <laughs> How is that? I can't imagine he's, like, a strong man. Can you? Do you know... They have to do that... appalling stuff on that program, He's crazy. He's surprisingly... Uh, I wouldn't say he's muscular, but he's not... Like, he's quite fit. He looks quite... He's quite he's, his fitness isn't too bad. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's so, uh, so, anyway, let's uh, talk about some things that are definitely... Yeah, circle. I'd... I, I might watch that SAS, but I can't imagine it. Can you... I can't imagine. imagine he's going to be very good at it. No. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some really terrible people do. I'm a, um, I'm an SAS. Get me out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an SAS man. Get me in that siege. Um, yeah. yeah. Like Katie Price did two episodes of one season of that. That was um, mortifying to watch. Mm. She just wasn't Ulrika even trying. was good, wasn't she? Ulrika did was. She a, do quite well. Yeah, Ulrika. She's wiry. Yeah, she was brilliant, and also Anthea Turner, and they they don't. Get, they don't leave they get, get asked to leave for medical reasons right. um, like they, they sort of say you've hit your limit now time to go which begs well, the that's question that's convenient so someone hits their limit every week and it's... well no but it, usually you have to like you either get asked to leave by oh. the uh, by the SS by the, by the SS you either get left <laughs> to ask by the SO <laughs> the senior officer or you yeah. uh, via voluntary redundancy yourself yeah um, but, uh, but no, in the case of Anthea Turner, I think she just fell over after she'd been running for 100 right. miles or something. And do, you, like... do you know what Anthea Turner's best legacy is? You know, there was one <laughs> thing I really respect about Anthea Turner. Yeah. Um, how to put a duvet cover on a duvet. Oh. She did, she... Is it inside out? And yeah, then like, yeah, that's where I learned it from. And it's really, I wouldn't, I'd never go back. I'd no. never put 
do use any other method. Yeah. Well, another yeah. childhood memory is that uh, my I was at Tracy where, Island or something. Yeah. yeah. Although my dad didn't make it in the way that she advised. I thought the kids were supposed to make it. <laughs> Well, as a Christmas present was for my dad, is he made Tracy Island. For okay, me. right. Um, but rather than do it in paper mache, he used polystyrene, and then he put paper mache around mm, the outside of the polystyrene. Interesting. Yeah, that's a bit, bit more effective, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much far superior. But good for still, Anthony Turner. Oh. Thanks for the idea. Yeah, thanks yeah. for the duvets. <laughs> thanks for the Tracy Island. Mm. Thanks for the what? What confectionery was it sponsored her wedding? Was it Boost Bars or something? <laughs> wow. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Oh, what a very rambling episode this is. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Have you got any satirical recommendations? Uh, I do, yeah. Do you? No, and yeah, I, yeah, you go first. Please. Okay, well, I'd like to recommend a graphic novel mm-hmm. uh, called Tunnels by Rutu Modan that came out in t- 2021, right. but I only read it this year. Uh, so it, it, this is actually better that it's been out a little while because you can probably get it at a mm. discounted rate. Uh, for the satirical loved ones at Christmas. And this is a graphic novel that's all about the whole issue between Palestine <laughs> the whole between, bit of bother between Palestine yeah. and Israel gosh the Israeli-Palestine which conflict. is I mean it's, it's one <clears> of those <throat> subjects that makes you smile even before you know you read the satire mm. isn't it because it's inherently just a, a light and yeah well yeah. As, as Vox magazine wrote in 2018 the Israeli-Palestine conflict is one of the world's longest running and most controversial conflicts um, at its heart is a conflict between two self-determination movements, the Jewish Zionist Project and the Palestinian Nationalist Project, that lay claim to the same temetri- te- territory. But it is so, so much more complicated than that, with seemingly every fact and historical detail, small and large, litigated by the two sides and their defenders. Mm. And Ruto Modan has written a bloody funny book. Right, okay. Um, in the middle of that, mm. and I just think that's extraordinary. So what happens in the book? So in the book uh, there is a character, Nili Broshi, um, and she's the daughter of a famous archaeologist uh, who believed that he was well on his way to finding the Ark of the Covenant. And when Nili was a little girl, um, she and her brother, who just gets called Broshi in the book, uh, were, were co-opted into his project to try and dig to find uh, mm. the Ark of the Covenant. Covenant. However, it's now many years later that she's an adult. She's got her own son called Doc, who's one of the funniest and in, most endearing characters in the book because he just wants to play on his phone all the time. So it's, um, I mean, so, you, so you'll have scenes where Nilly or whoever will be talking to each other and Doc is just walking around in the background of the panel mm. trying to find a phone to play on or right. like trying to charge his phone or do things. There's a lot of visual comedy. Um, anyway, um, their father gets dementia and uh, can't remember anything. And uh, she finds out that there is, and uh, that her father's boss at the university is basically going to try and find it to steal his father's, steal the glory of the, uh, well, to discover it, but also take yeah. all the credit for it. So she basically recruits various people in an attempt to try and find it first. The problem is, the map that she has from her father that she managed to reconstruct suggests that it is uh, on the other side of a wall. Uh, which has been used to demarcate the Palestine-Israel territory. Oh, right, okay. So it's called tunnels because she and these people are going to have to dig a hole underneath the wall. Mm. Um, but once she begins this task, it starts a, a whole series of different events. So you end up with lots of different parties on both sides of Israel and Palestine and in between, all trying to get to the Ark first. Um, but one of the reasons it's so funny is because they, the, 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 it just becomes, the task just becomes so ludicrous because it's sort of distorted and contorted by all the bureaucracy to do with territories and stuff and all of the um, strange 
what seemingly to us and I think it was supposed to seem strange to us the strange sort of rituals that people have to go through mm. and you end up in this sort of bureaucratic Byzantine bureaucratic Kafka-esque do you scenario. know you know how just before this I had a quick meeting with a colleague about something else right. and the colleague listened to this podcast and said have you ever done one about satire and bureaucracy you mm. should do that yeah. you should do one about Kafka and things like that and Catch-22 Joseph yeah, Heller yeah. yeah well this would fit really well in that so yeah so maybe if, we should if do you're it. Telling we've done it and we don't need to do another <laughs> one now because it's, it's been covered um, yeah so that's the kind of you. so you have this kind of uh, Indiana Jones style national treasure escapade going on it is caper mm. Um, but it's also it reminds me of things like uh, the death of Stalin as well in that the bureaucracy makes things ludicrous and farcical mm. um, and there is just like some flat out comedy like there's a cow in it that because they believe so some of the people are trying to get to the convent, covenant believe that you must sacrifice a cow mm. before you can approach it because we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark I was going to say I've been thinking about yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark for so the last few minutes you've got to be careful yeah um, so they drag this cow around with them, and eventually the cow goes get I can't it gets shot in the bum and goes insane. And there's a there's a panel where the cow who's going insane jumps, and the perspective looks like it's jumped over the moon. So yeah, so it's it's kind of uh, an Indiana Jones esque farce really, um, which shines a light on some of the ludicrous lo- logics that arise from bureaucracy and some of the uh, just strange conclusions that happen when you have a set of beliefs or ideas that are de- as deeply entrenched as they are on either side of this party um, so it's just some reviews uh, Rachel Cook said in The Guardian it's complex and thrilling if Modan as Mo- Modan has given us a tightly plotted adventure which is also a brilliant daring satire um, and uh, it was described as in, in uh, variety as biting, bracing and bold in both its satire and ambition uh, Starred Review said, the very best kind of satire, Modern embraces political absurdity, subverting rid- ridiculous aspects of faith and fanaticism, uh, while never devolving to mockery. There's just one quote that I was looking for that I suddenly can't find. But it, it just sort of talks about how she walks this tightrope between comedy and offence and stuff. Mm. But um, something that none of those reviews really get across either is just how like quite lovely all the characters are. Mm. But there's even ISIS terrorists in this who are kind of endearingly... Um, hapless in their yeah. efforts oh, and uh, I got to the end of it it took about two hours to read I'm a slow reader <laughs> and um, and I just thought what a nice cast of characters <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one villain in it but, but generally so yeah just a cosy funny provocative Israeli-Palestine well, and, and a happy yeah. co- a happy consequence of it is that you will come out knowing a lot more about the Israel-Palestine mm. conflict one of the things I think is genius about it is that it's not it's not really about the Israel-Palestine conflict in the sense that it's not about the issues so much as the quotidian implications and consequences of it. And once you get into the minutiae of it, then then you can make fun of how silly it is. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a strange one in many ways, but uh, I really recommend it. Good, thank you. Mm. Consider it recommended. Yeah. So I read um, Hurdy Gurdy. Oh yeah. Your, um, suggestion because I know you were teaching it in one place and I was thinking about teaching it in a different context uh, so yeah so I read Hurdy Gurdy by Christopher Wilson mm. uh, at your recommendation which is um, so yeah it's, it's told by what is he called Brother Brother Diggory mm. a medieval monk who lives through various waves of the bubonic plague and has this sort of picaresque adventure and um, learns to 
learns to do what he thinks of as medicine and surgery, but it's all sort of um, like wrong and stupid. And um, there's the, so yeah, he's he lives in the monastery. The plague comes. They think he's got it, so they lock him in a room. He almost dies, but doesn't die. And then when he comes out, everyone else is dead. So he travels from one place to the next, meeting various kind of quirky individuals on the way. So there's, what's his name? Simon Mostly, Mm. who's like hopping around the forest with one eye and one arm and one leg and um, Mm. robs him blind. And then he meets the band of pilgrims who've gouged out their eyes because they think if they can't see the contagion, then it won't see them and they Mm. won't catch it. And every so often the plague will kind of die down and then it comes back and they realise that people are are catching it again. And there's a brilliant bit where he talks to a wise woman, I don't know if you remember this, but, and she says, like, well, what's the nature of this plague? How does it how does it work? How do you think it travels? Is there, like, contact from animals? Do animals get it? And he says uh, it, it makes the fleas behave very strangely because they they don't like it when the, when the fleas are on a diseased person. They hop to a healthy person because they don't like the disease. And then they both go quiet, and she's like, yeah, you could... Maybe that's worth thinking about. Like, that it's obviously... <laughs> Yeah. That's presumably how this one is meant to be yeah. transmitted. And that's how that's how uh, um, typhus happened as well. Yes, isn't it? it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think I think they have recently found that that wasn't that how the bubonic plague did mm. spread. Not yeah. rats after all. I think. Well, there's. Um, but yes, it's very funny, isn't it? Yeah. And and good, and it made me laugh a few times when I was reading it. There's uh, quite a lot of dramatic irony mm. where Diggory almost stumbles upon something we know to be true like that. Isn't yeah. It? And then there's also the visions. Cause, yeah, because like, the yeah. the other guy has the visions of the future where everyone has become stupid and uh, they have these magic boxes that make them argue with each other and there's a yellow haired yeah. man with little hands who uh, yes. is it yeah yeah um, yeah that's oh, good then yeah. is it satire though or is it just comedy uh, is it satire it's or is sort it comedy of... well I think it is broadly a comedy with some moments of satire mm. in it like the stuff where because it's defamiliarisation isn't it where the other monkey like looks forward to the future and sees things so you, you're seeing them through the seeing the world we live in through the eyes of a medieval monk mm. um, and so that feels like mm. fe- loosely yeah. satirical I think it's satire mm. um, but the satire is like the 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 targets of the satire are a little bit less specific than we're sometimes mm. used to like it, it's it it's sort of like the hubris of believing in medicine and like yeah. or, or the latest medicine or believing that your medicine is better than someone else's or um interestingly it came out in 2021 obviously in the middle of the first well the first few years of the pandemic mm. <laughs> and um and uh but it was written before that apparently oh, like he wrote right. it in 2018 okay. Uh, well, and then it know, got popular again in 2021. Well, it came out in 2021, right, but okay. he'd written it. He'd already written it when the when that bat oh, got aged in China. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So um. So is it, it also? Sorry. No, it's gone. Well, it also was interesting because I read that, and then this week on my Victorian's module, I was teaching the Time Machine, mm-hmm. in which have you ever read the Time Machine? Or yeah, yeah. Well, I've not read yet? all of it, but I read some of it. So <laughs> I've read like, all of it. I'm kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. so if you remember, like humanity has divided itself into two species thousands of years hence, and there's like the beautiful, vapid, yeah, yeah. useless Eloy who fit for nothing but lying around, and then the Morlocks, who Morlocks. at first sight seem to be like the workers who live underground, but and they are that, but they also come out every so often and eat the Eloy and so when I was because I was reading those in like fairly close proximity to one another so I was thinking like the Eloy you know Wells's vision of humanity or its debased descendants thousands mm. of years in the future is what 
Brother Diggory's vision of the future, which is us, is already because he talks about how like they've forgotten how to do anything. They they don't need to know how to use a map. They don't need to know how to think or speak in different languages because the little boxes do it for them. Um, so in some ways, like Wells might look at us today and think, mm. "Yep, as I predicted." <laughs> yeah. That's now watch out for the Morlocks eating you all up. Yeah. But um, I hadn't ever really fully thought about the time machine as a satire before because like obviously it's you know one of the earliest examples of science fiction and of future travel and it's interested in the whole idea of the the fourth dimension and what it how does one carry on living when one knows the world is going to end but i mean the the exaggeration and the extreme differences between the eloy and the morlocks makes me think that and he says did you know in his preface he well says like um the writer of this work is like indefinitely indebted to Swift um, and that he'd always admired Swift and that he hopes this little volume will be you know in some way I didn't know that Um, yeah yeah so then I think once you start thinking of it as a satire Mm. that really um, you know it changes a lot of the things that we might think about or discuss about it and in the seminar what we mainly ended up talking about was the cannibalistic Mm. elements of it and how if we view the Morlocks and the Eloi as two distinct species, then it isn't really cannibalism. It's possibly a satirical comment on the farming and eating of meat. Mm. Um, because basically the Morlocks are, they're looking after and tending to and caring for the Eloi to make mm. them like all the more yummy when they eat them. Yeah. Um, so is it is it really about meat eating and vegetarianism or is are we to understand it as cannibalism, which would be like the ultimate symbol that... You know, once we get to a point where we're eating each other, then really all pretense at civilization is gone, isn't it? It's it's mm. then as now, perhaps the ultimate symbol that yeah. everything is lawless and yeah. anarchic. Because the cannibalism, there is an interesting thing about cannibalism in satire, isn't it? Because mm. I can't go a whole episode without mentioning Modest Proposal, which is obviously advocating exactly. cannibalism. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and uh, a student brought to my attention a novel that's just come out called A Certain Hunger, uh, which is a satire on... That. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a satire on, like, for want of a better term, like woke capitalism and mm. feminism and stuff. But it involves this this person who presents as the best ally ever, but is really eating all the vulnerable people, right. literally eating them. So um, I've not read that yet. I'll feedback when I have. Yeah. But yeah, there, but there is something interesting about satire and cannibalism. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um. So that was a very interesting conversation. Yeah. Um, and interesting. Uh, thoughts about cannibalism, satire, and and so on, mm. um, and also connect. I think with the, with the crown to an extent. Yeah. To go back to earlier on in this episode, we're sort of planning the next season as we go because we've got yeah. an episode on satire and bureaucracy and an episode on satire and cannibalism now. Yeah, in the pipeline. And as it turns out, the week before that, on that module, we were reading Three Men in a Boat. Oh yes. Um, have you read that? No. Right. So it's like it's like light Victorian satire, and what I normally kind of say about it is. One of the things that it, I think it does is kind of anticipate the 20th century sitcom. So it's like the follies and foibles of everyday life. The, what is it? He, he calls it like the, the natural cussedness of everyday things. So it's just like a, bloke, a bunch of suburban men and there's a lot of like rambling anecdotes about how it's annoying when you can't find your tin opener or how when you pack your bags, the thing you want is always at the bottom or um, cheese smells bad and um, like a long anecdote about burying... The, somebody's got this like lump of cheese and they take it on the train and everybody like forces them off the train because it smells so bad. They go throw it in the canal 
but the bargemen all complain and they go bury it in a mortuary and then the um, mortuary attendants complain. So like all these people who obviously would be accustomed to terrible smells and mm. get that cheese out of here. Um, so things like that is basically, I would say, anticipate observational comedy and the sitcom. And we were talking about it in the seminar um, and I said to the students, like, do you think, can you think of anything that might have, you know, some legacy from Three Men in a Boat in contemporary culture? Um, and suggestions included The Office and Curb Your Enthusiasm, um, which I think is, is quite persuasive. Like, I could see the characters in Three Men in a Boat, like pursuing somebody all day because he's got a Prius and he didn't flash the other Prius mm. back or whatever. That is, People get obsessed with tiny things and make big deals out of them. Um, and then the other one was um, Peep Show, mm. which is like also just, you know, men in in an environment together, mm. finding each other irritating. Obviously in Peep Show it's a bit more mm. ramped up. You have um, Only Fools and Horses, that's three men in a series. Of in a flat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, or, true. Or Red Wolf. Three men well, in a yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Lots of comedy yeah. is, is men in a in a space that they, for whatever reason, can't get out of or yeah. are forced to to share together. Although I think Ron Grainer said that he was inspired by um, Waiting for Godot when he came. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, maybe yeah. Waiting for Godot was inspired by Three Men in a Boat. Maybe who knows? But I thought Peep Show was really good because yeah. I mean, there even is that one where they go on a boat yeah. and end up um, killing that dog and burning its remains. Is that where Jeremy pisses himself as well? Oh, I think he might do. Yeah. yeah. God, the dog. Yeah. They, they feed the dog back to its owner, don't they? But that's right. Yeah, because yeah. it's in a bag of barbecue. Do you know that's things. the first episode of Picture I ever saw? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I started thinking about it anyway, and thinking about. Um, so I wrote. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to tell you about it, just as a like experiment to see if if I could. I wrote like the. I thought you were going to buy the turkey episode. Mm-hmm in the style and voice of oh. Jerome K. Jerome oh, and called it um, Two Men in a Flat to Say Nothing of the Snakes. Right. And, like, it's really easy to do. Oh, it's really on. easy to... No, because it's too long. We haven't got time. So, yeah, I don't think this would be terribly funny... Well, it might not be terribly funny anyway um, to to anyone who isn't that familiar with Three Men in a Boat, which obviously would would include you. Um, but it is... It, it did kind of feel surprisingly easy to do this and also it's a little callback to was it last year we did the peep mm, show did, yeah. yeah i'll tell you what we could do is uh we'll we'll link it in the show notes no we'll read it but we'll do it after the music so if people want to hear it they can keep listening if they don't want to hear it no i don't think we should do that it's too long oh. and nobody would get it if they haven't read we'll it, post it on our blog. Say, yeah we'll post it on the blog and uh issue a, a challenge to do it but yeah um okay yeah, because one of the things as well that um, I think you need to understand some of the key features of Three Men in a Boat okay. that um, the students observe that after every episode, every dumb thing that happens, the narrator is all, he always like resolves to learn a lesson, and he's like, from that day to this, I haven't done that, and they were saying like it's literally never the thing you should have learned. It's always something slightly <laughs> surreal and disconnected, um, which is like um, as Homer as well, isn't it? Like, yeah, it's the one where he goes. And I've learned absolutely nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So it it concludes with obviously it was a joke, Harris. I bought the turkey. I spent ages researching it. It's going to be delicious. It was a Christmas joke, um, and so on. And then after all of that, 
the narrator says, I resolved at that moment to become a vegetarian and have not touched meat ever since, which is the kind of like not the point thing. Yeah. Um, it is too complex a business for a chap like me, though in the interest of truth and full disclosure, I must confess I had sex with his sister that afternoon, which is what, yeah. what happens, isn't it? In the Perfect. So we'll get that on the blog and people can watch it. Uh, people, can so it. people can read it. Um, yeah, it's Three Men About. Is it, do you know if there's any connection between Three Men About and uh, Jonathan Swift's Tale of a Tub? Uh, I don't think that he alludes to it. Because that and just like, involves... There's no useful preface. Where he, he doesn't mention it in the preface no. or anything like that. But he might, it might be. I mean, that... Famously, Swift doesn't actually tell the story of the mm. Tale of the Tub. But it, the idea of it is that you've got three brothers who are in a, sort of a variety of situations. Um, and it's episodic, but it's fragmented. I just wonder yeah. if... Well, it does sound awfully similar yeah but apparently jerome k jerome started out writing it as like a travelogue that was right. just supposed to be um you know if you venture up the thames you may see this and the history of that is that but then it became a story about these three friends who you know bump into each other and um fall out and mm. don't like it when it rains and okay. things like that so yeah well i'm gonna read it and uh, yes the you can too. But, uh, yeah read read three men in a boat and then you might get this yeah, yeah okay lovely yeah, do it in that order please so we've done our we've done our Rex. we've mm-hmm. talked about the crown and I'm done a celebrity so I think yeah. we're now at end yes <laughs> yeah well what a lovely end that was yeah yeah well um, th- thank you Joe, for another wonderful satirical year thank you Adam for another wonderful satirical year and thank you to our listeners uh, who have increased by 78% this year according to uh, Spotify yeah. Unwrapped um in, in many different countries, including mm-hmm. um, Israel. Oh, wow. Which isn't why I did the Ruto mode and stuff, but just just, just right. incidentally. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, everyone listening to Israel. Gosh. Yeah, they're off. That's out. So England, obviously, is the country mm. listeners to us most, or Britain, I should say. And then Israel is four out of the top six. Wow. In the fourth position. That suggests to me we've got hardly any listeners and we've got like three in Israel, because <laughs> I can't imagine we've got... <laughs> no, we do have hundreds of listeners. We've got more <laughs> listeners than ever, according to Spotify and Wrapped. We've got more listeners than ever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, that's that's all very lovely, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you had a good year? Are you looking forward to Christmas? Y- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I've had a year and I'm looking forward to Christmas. Yeah. 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 No. And, and satire-wise, it's been a treat as ever. Yeah. It's been a really good one, isn't it? All we did the York Lit Fest. We did our first live show at Quantum Source What's in Leeds. Our first live show. It's true. We did our third live. Third <laughs> we did one of our live shows. We did a live. Yeah. We appeared live. We've never done stand-up though, like we did there. We yeah, was on a stage with microphones and no script and an audience who were expected. We were in a stand-up venue. Yeah. I'll tell you what, okay. we should just release it and leaders, the listeners can decide if it's actually yeah. stand up. Yeah. Yeah, we were standing up, that's true. But by that <laughs> by that token, like every lecture that you give is stand up comedy. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so lovely Christmas time. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got a final Christmas message for our listeners? Um, is this up? Shut up. Um, oh, uh, satinomar at gmail.com. Sit <laughs> <laughs> up, shut up, and satinomar at gmail.com. Yeah, if you yeah. enjoyed the episode, let us know. Uh, rate and review us on your platform, podcast platform of, of choice. choice. Yeah. Uh, send us an email at satinomar at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the other uh, one. Elemental Adam. Oh, what? Sorry. <laughs> So follow us on Instagram and talk about. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Follow us on Instagram at talk about satire. Follow us on Twitter at, at satire, satire no more. more. And follow us individually. Yeah, if you and choose. also, like, are you going to do like satire TikToks or something now that you do TikTok all the time? 
Um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. yeah, you can follow me on TikTok at Elemental Adam. Uh, I was thinking I might do some book talk type TikToks <laughs> about books that we talk yeah. about uh, that are satire. Yeah, but don't, you don't have to follow me on TikTok. That was just an experiment. Mm. Just wanted to see what it was all about. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It just okay. happens that one of my videos has had two and a half thousand uh, views. But I'm too green to know if that's good or bad. It could. I think uh, it's like, quite bad. Yeah, it's quite I think low. Other people yeah, have done better than that. Yeah, well, yeah. There's, I've seen quite s- some people got like thirty. Yeah. I'd say. Yeah. 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 Anyway, you... we can talk more about TikTok at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But okay. uh, but yes, follow follow us in all those places and let us give us some feedback because without your feedback, yeah. we've got nothing to. We need you to boost our satire meter. Yeah. To continue. Find us and follow us through factories yeah that's yeah. yeah that's what I was thinking but then I can't remember the next line <laughs> yeah alright okay Merry okay. Christmas everyone Merry Christmas yeah. bye 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 bye